everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And we are back with our career episode part two. Yes, it's just us and we have so many interesting, thoughtful, compelling questions. I hope we can give good answers. I know. I was, I guess not shocked, but I was bowled over by the response to the first episode of our career series. So we did an episode two weeks ago where we started answering questions, but we had so many that we're doing it in two parts. Yeah. And so many people came out of the woodwork with their own questions that they wanted answered. And just the feedback on the episode was really great. So it seems like we're all, we're having that back to school September feeling and everyone is thinking about career moves. Yeah. But before we do career stuff, let's talk about ourselves. Yeah, let's do it. What's your high this week? My high is that my soul cycle bike came. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for me. So it came on Tuesday. Today's Thursday. So I've only done one ride. But I so people were DMing me and asking me for thoughts. And I was like, I don't have thoughts yet. <laughs> uh, but I'm so happy. I did one ride with my favorite instructor, Ariel, from in real life. Yeah. He's also on the app. And I just like I felt like myself. I felt so happy after I did it. I'm just like so excited that I pulled the trigger on this purchase. I'm so happy for you. Frankly, I should have done it sooner. Well, you did it. No regrets. No Moving regrets. forward. I'm so excited. Good. What's, what's your high? Mine is, I have a bunch of things going on, but I think the biggest high is probably last weekend, I went to the Finger Lakes with my two sisters, their husbands, and their three kids. And we stayed at this, I guess it's called a camp. It was very cute. We were right on the lake. We did not leave the property for three days. I had all these people like messaging me ideas from places to go and things. I was like, do you understand we have three children under the age of five and we're also in a pandemic? So we did not get to do any of the fun things. We did not go wine tasting or shopping. But I can't imagine like my sister's two boys like being into wine tasting with us. So we had so much fun. We did crafts and we... I didn't go kayaking because the lake was actually kind of gross. They went kayaking. The boys did. We played outside. We did bubbles. We did bubble guns. We made bracelets. We painted nails. It was a lot. It was really fun. I will say that I, I relate more to parents because I've been on trips with my sisters before, but it hasn't been. Zoe was just a baby the first time we did a trip together. So this was the first trip where we had like three actual children under the age of five and I am tired. Like, I'm sure. Traveling with children is not vacation. And they all get up so early. Oh, my God. Can I just vent and laugh a little bit? I, on my vacation, got up at 8 every day. I'm surprised you slept that late. Well, I will tell you, it was frowned upon. I can't, I can't, I can't get up before 8. Like, I can if I really have to, but I will be tired. And it's like, you get down there at 8, and the kids have been up for hours already, and like I'm like, just let me have coffee. Like I can't even like have a intelligent conversation. Like I was so sleepy. I'm sure. Um, and I'm sleepy just thinking about it. Um, my sister Becca and I were joking, which made me feel better because she's a parent and she was like, I'm so tired. Well, your she, sister's also a very sleepy person. I mean, I'm a sleepy person too. Yeah, but I mean she goes to bed at like nine. Yeah, yeah, she does. But I, I we get the same amount of sleep. We both like like a good nine or ten hours. She just gets up really early and I sleep in a little bit later but go to bed later than her. Atwoods are sleepy people except for <laughs> Meredith. Um, Meredith like your is, mom's not a sleepy person. Mm, no she's not. So maybe that's just Becca and I that are sleepy people but we like our sleep. 
But it was so nice. No it judgment. Was, I'm a sleepy person too. It was just so good to all be together. We ate a lot and cooked a lot and just having all that time with the kids was so nice. But I am so freaking tired. Like I'm not doing anything this weekend. I'm going to read. I'm going to have coffee, do my Melissa Wood, do my meditations. I'm just going to be chilling. I'm also not doing anything this weekend. I haven't done anything any weekend in September. And I feel like I'm preparing for Rachel to move here because Rachel's a raging extrovert. Oh, and I'm an extrovert oh too. So I'm I'm not complaining. But but you're like an introverted extrovert. I feel well, I'm like, an only child. So I feel like I'm very okay by myself. Yeah, you're very okay by yourself. Like I have other extrovert friends who like, I will feel so guilty telling them no. I never feel guilty telling you no. No, I'm I'm very self-sufficient. I think it's the only child part of it. But, but you'd um, prefer to be out. Not necessarily. No, not all the time. But Rachel's a raging extrovert, and I feel like we're gearing up for like a lot of codependence. So I'm like, I'm getting my me time <laughs> before she gets here. Great. What is your low? My low? Well, first of all, today is Tyrion's seventh birthday. That's not a low. It is. He's getting old. Oh, he's you're you're feeling his I'm, mortality. I'm feeling about I'm feeling sad about his mortality. Like when I think about like he's he's my best friend. Like I don't know if I'm his best friend. I was just gonna say, but <laughs> I love him so much. You think Carter might be his best friend? No, Allie. I think he likes Allie better. Than, so you guys, if you follow my Instagram stories, you've seen this. Tyrion is obsessed with photographers like someone was like maybe he was a model in his past life and he just like has a special bond with photographers like he hears the click of the camera like if we're shooting inside usually we're shooting outside but he if if we're shooting indoors he like is all up on their grill like he's rubbing against their legs he's like putting his tail all over them like he's getting his tail his tail has ended up in flat lays because he'll just be like cruising wherever the camera is <laughs> He loves the camera. And I think... What I an attention-seeking cat. Yeah. So Carter and I... It's not really a low, but I have three separate photo shoots this week and next week to get all the assets created for Amazon. Um, Carter's coming over three different times for, for those. So I feel like it might even things out. But he... I think he might like Allie even more. Wow. He loves photographers. So... Anyways, poor guy. He's seven, and that bums me out. I'm sorry. The other he still has good years on him. He's a spry cat. Yeah, he's really spry. He was just um, I was on a. Conference. I've seen him run away. I know he runs fast. He does run. But we were. I had a conference call just before you came over about um the Amazon spring dresses, which I have to show you the mood board. He found like a paper bag, and he was jumping on it. And like getting in and getting out, and it was making so much noise. And I was like, "You guys, I'm so sorry." I was like, "Tyrion, stop it!" But it's his birthday, so I didn't want to be mean to him. Yeah, you can't ruin. He gets to do whatever he wants. Yeah. So I'm sad that it's his birthday. It's not a real low. And then I'm just also feeling a little depleted. Like I just need to chill. But I have so much work and just so much stuff to get through before. Like I think that by like mid next week. But actually, by the time this episode drops. I'll be in a much better headspace and I'll have had like that nice, long, quiet weekend. Just in time for your birthday. Just in You'll time for restored. my birthday. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for my birthday weekend, which like I'm turning 39, which there's nothing to be excited about there. Grace, I'm so excited for your birthday present. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. But I think it's going to be it's going to be late. Oh, it's OK. I think I'm, it might not be. We'll see. Well, I'm excited. But yeah, I just need to chill. I feel like a little depleted and like my, what is that quote, that 
that article. Did you read that article about your surge, your yeah, surge yeah, capacity? Yeah. My surge capacity is like non-existent right now. I'm just drawing on all the reserves to get through the next few photo shoots and other stuff I have going on. But again, I I feel like stupid complaining about it because this is all self-imposed. It's all things I signed up for and really want to do. I'm just tired. I hear you. What is your low? Uh, do I know your low? Yeah, my low is that my vagine is broken. <laughs> my vaginal toughness, I mean, my overall stamina and cardio strength is like non-existent. I track it in my in an app on my phone and I hadn't worked out since May. So I did my soul cycle workout on Tuesday right after the bike came. And then on Wednesday, yesterday morning, I went to get on the bike and I did one song and then he was like, and now we're going to sit sit in the saddle. And I was like, oh, no, that's not going to work. Can you get like that padded gel seat? I don't need it. I just need to like build up my... Roughing up your vagina? Roughing up my vagina. Ah. Because um, ah. it never used to bother me. It's just that I'm, I haven't done spinning in six months. She so was... I broke my, my vagina. <laughs> and I'm overall very sore. Like, you know how in SoulCycle, the weight song is one song? Yeah. My biceps are sore from that. Like, that's how out of shape I am right now. Oh. So. I felt like that, well, not my vagina, but I felt like that when I started doing Melissa Wood again, like a, a month ago, like I couldn't walk. I was so out of shape. So it's a short-term low in that it's not great. However, <laughs> it is a high because I'm excited to get back into it. Yeah. Well, I'm just happy you have your bike. Like Me too. This is so great. She needs a name. She does. We'll think of it. Yeah. We have a lot of questions to get to. Yeah, we do. But quick desperation minute before we get into the career stuff. Um, if you like this podcast, you know what you can do? Leave a review. Yeah. Or put us on your Instagram stories. Share the share the conversation. I feel like this would be a good one if you have a friend who is going through a career transition and you've been trying to get them to listen or maybe you've never brought it up to them before. You could be like, here's this helpful podcast about job stuff. Here's this insightful wisdom from these two women that really know what they're talking about. Sure do. <laughs> sure don't, but we, we're we still fun. We are. So do it. So for our first bucket of questions today, we have a bunch of questions about work and COVID. Um, and we have some COVID scenarios too, which I didn't put in this bucket, but this was a popular topic. Yes. I don't think this episode will necessarily age well, but, you know, yeah. here we go. Well, if if you're listening to this and there's no more pandemic, just glide on past. Yeah. So this one came up a bunch of times. A lot of people wanted to know, how do you find motivation in your work during COVID? And then one person actually asked, is it harder when you're self-employed? So for me, it's always been a lot of just having to be a self-starter and whatnot, because I don't have a boss. I don't have anyone making sure things are getting done. I have readers that I have, I'm accountable to and I have brands that I have deadlines and things for. So I don't think a lot has changed in that regard. What has changed is motivation levels and my like mental health. I think that for a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of friends about this. Some of the symptoms of COVID have been are really similar to depression. Like it's just harder to motivate. It's harder to get up. It's hard to find the like just find the energy to do all of the things that you have to do like there was a good meme i saw somewhere that said like it's it's not just working from home it's like working from home during a pandemic so i have found the best thing to do is just work really ahead 
because that way, if I have a bad day or I'm not motivated, I can give myself a little bit of grace. And I say this right now, I am not ahead at all. Like I am in the weeds. But generally what happens is I will have these days or even weekends or nights where I feel super productive and hey, like we're locked down, like what else am I gonna do? So I'll get really ahead. And then if I'm not motivated, it's okay. But I think that using those times where you're feeling on top of your game to like plan and get ahead are really helpful so that you can be a little bit more gentle with yourself. But I know that not everyone has that luxury because some of you have bosses jumping down your throats at all hours of the day and you can't just like give yourself a break when when you have it. So I think in that case, I would just try and, t- and take it easy and just focus on the things that you really absolutely have to do and then give yourself a break. Like I also love to bribe myself. Like I'll be like, if you do two hours of this work and like create, finish this project, you can go for a walk or you can have a cookie or you can, a cookie, a cookie sounds good right now. (laughs) She distracted herself. But like I give myself little treats or like you can take a, a nap. Like I took a lot of naps earlier in the pandemic. Like I'd be like, okay, I'm just gonna do these two big, get these two big deadlines off my plate and then I'm gonna take a nap. So I think that that helps. Or like channeling Grossi Pelosi, who I know like, also had his day job and a lot of responsibilities, but was able to take little breaks to cook and make delicious things. What what do you what what's your advice there? I actually think it's easier to motivate when you're self-employed because it's very I mean, first of all, there's no hiding. If you don't do the work, it's obvious. That is true. Um, there's no one else to like blame. And then the other thing is like if you don't work you don't get paid so i think there's like a very clear connection where i'm like i would like to pay my rent i would like to have money so in that way i think it's easier um i would say for me as a self-employed person one thing that i find really important is keeping business hours and that's not to say that i don't take breaks and that i like sit at my computer from nine to five but i think like getting online at nine or nine thirty in the morning and then working until I'm either done or until um, it's like five or six, I think is important. Because otherwise, I feel like if I give myself too much wiggle room, nothing will get done. Yeah. I keep really strict work hours. Yeah. Lately, I've been working over, but I'm like, I start working right at nine because, and you have to treat it like you're almost in going into the office. Totally. And I'm not a night worker. Like you're a night owl and I'm not. So like, I'm like, I need to get it done in the morning and during the day when I'm most productive. Otherwise, like it, it kind of the negative, there's like negative reinforcement of like, if you don't finish this, you're going to have to do it at night and you're going to be so miserable about that. Yeah. So that's one. But on days when I feel like I really can't motivate myself and I feel like not productive and like I can't get myself in a groove, I feel like my biggest tip is to make a mini to-do list. So you know that I'm like crazy about lists and I have a huge, huge to-do list at all times and I love my lined post-it notes. But um what I'll do is I'll take either a piece of paper or another post-it note and I'll write just the things that I have to get done today. Like it's on a deadline or like it needs to happen today. And usually, even if I have a bunch of things that I've said I want to get done today, there's only a few things that need to get done today. Yeah. And so I'll take that mini to-do list that's like 
three or four items. And that usually feels less daunting than like looking at the huge list and getting started. And sometimes I'll like make a bargain with myself where I'm like, okay, if you do the mini to-do list of things that need to get done, then you can like read a book or take a nap or do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. And sometimes taking a break afterwards, I feel recharged and I can do more work, but sometimes I don't. Yeah. I did that to myself last night because I had work that still needed to be done at like 6 p.m. So I made myself a mini to-do list and I was like, okay, yeah, you just have to do these three things and then you can be done. Yeah. So. Someone else asked if you're keeping a schedule during these times. Absolutely. I think it is so important. Um, Same. Yeah. yeah. I, I've I've given myself more grace where I've not been setting an alarm clock. Um, and my natural clock will w- – I usually wake up between 8 and 9 naturally. So that's kind of what I've given myself. But then, yeah, I like get right on the computer and I start working at 9 or 9.30. Yeah. So that's the only flexibility I've given myself. The next question was, small space work from home, Rex. My little corner makes me so sad. Well, it shouldn't make you sad. I feel like you need to do some interior design if it's making you sad. Yeah, you're in this until at least next spring. So, (laughs) I mean, you don't need to spend a ton of money, but I feel like investing a little bit, even if you will eventually go back to the office, is warranted for the next six months. Maybe add a little cute art or like something bright and happy or just like clean it. And and um, make it feel orderly and tidy. Like get fun office supplies. Like Target has great office stuff. Like um, not like actual paper supplies, but you know, like um, organizers and. Yeah. Um, oh, I just got a really beautiful pen on Rifle Paper Company. I really like their pens. Even oh. just like upgrading your your tools. Yeah, kind of helps. Or get like cute desk accessories or like a cute little piece of art that you can look at if you're. I'm imagining this person like staring at a wall yeah (laughs) um or like a whiteboard like i don't know invest in some cute stuff i feel like for under a hundred dollars you could get some stuff that like really spruced it up and even if you never use it after six months you know i think like a hundred dollars over six months is like you know yeah a good investment absolutely um the other thing that i would say is i don't know if what this person's life is like and if they have kids or a partner who's working at home um I really find that moving around a lot during the day helps me. Yeah, I change locations. And me too. Again, I feel lucky because I have a decent sized apartment, but I work from the dining table. Sometimes I'm at the couch. Sometimes I do the little stools in my kitchen just to like freshen up perspective. Like it's not the same as going to a coffee shop, but it's it's close. Yeah, I feel like sitting in the same spot and like looking yeah. at a corner would like make me feel sad yeah. too. So I I move around a lot too. Yeah, agree. So we got a lot of questions about burnout, and we thought that it was – this is something that we addressed – I don't know which work episode we talked about burnout, but we talked about it We've a lot. We talked about it a lot. Because I feel like it's something that I, I've i personally experienced and was kind of one of the drivers for me leaving my last full-time job and, and how I ended up accidentally starting my consulting business. But I, I thought that it was worth readdressing because I feel like talking about surge energy, a lot of people are feeling like oh my God. depleted. Yes. So somebody asked, have you ever felt burned out? Have you felt it during COVID? And what did you do? So, oh, I just elected myself to go first. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, go first. Go. <laughs> I like asked myself the question. <laughs> I was taking a deep breath. Like I could answer. I was also just breathing. <sighs> I like looked at you and you looked like you were getting ready to answer. And I was like, oh, I'm an asshole. Um, so yes, I, I have dealt with burnout. 
I have not dealt with it in COVID, I don't think. So in general, yes, I at my last full-time job, I was the head of marketing at Lola and I was there for three years. And by the end, I was feeling very, very, very burnt out. And actually, I think even when I left Bobble Bar, which was three years before that, I was also feeling burnt out. And I think one of the hardest things and one of the things I learned from my experience at Bobble Bar was to act on it before it gets too bad. Because I thought you said that before. I yeah. Such good advice. Because I thought at Bobble Bar, I was like, oh, it's it's gonna pass. It's just a phase. And then like six months later I was like, oh no, I'm even more miserable now. Yeah. So I think acting on it sooner than later is a good move and trying to figure out whether it's just your surge energy is depleted and your COVID sucks and like everything sucks and that's why you're burnt out or if you like need a new role or if you need a side project to take your mind off of not liking work. So I think like dealing with it sooner than later is probably a good thing. I'm not like encouraging you to make rash decisions, but yeah. So there's this article that I really like about burnout that we can link in the show notes. I have not had burnout during COVID, and I honestly think that it's because I've had rom-com pods to channel energy into and to be excited about, and it's a process. So there's like mile markers. I feel like I'm accomplishing something. I feel like having that sense of purpose and project has really helped me. And I'm not saying that you need to start a podcast or like write something, but you know, I think having a project could be really helpful because I could definitely see myself if I didn't have that, feeling very differently about this whole situation, if it was just like, wake up, work, watch TV, go to bed, and I didn't have a sense of like purpose or fulfillment. Yeah, I would add to that. It doesn't even have to be a big work project. It could be like taking a master class or doing painting at night or stringing beads, like doing something creative or like where you're not thinking about work. I think it would be good if it was something that you had progress. So like getting into running Mm -hmm. or learning a new skill, like something that you felt like you were able to mark progress by. Yeah, I I agree with that. Have you experienced burnout during COVID? I am burnt out right now. Uh, What are you going to (laughs) do? What I'm going to do is I'm going to get through it. And I kind of give myself some tough love because – I signed up for this. I took on way too much sponsored content this month, but I'm really nervous because of the election. And also I lost a lot of, re- of revenue during um, the BLM stuff because I wasn't able to post. So I'm paying for that this month, but I am giving myself things to look forward to like Charleston. I try and you know take time for myself every day. The one thing that has helped is just remembering to move. Like this morning, I have been like working since seven. Like I had so many, I'm not going to bore you all with all the things I had to do today, but I really had a lot going on and I still took 35 minutes out of my day to do Melissa Wood. And I felt like that was so helpful. And that is like one perk of working from home when you are burnt out is that you can do those things. I think that making time to do something creative where you don't think about work and also making time to move your body. I have walks in my calendar. At the very beginning of COVID, I put an hour a day on my calendar for a walk. And that just makes me prioritize and schedule it for myself. Yeah. So if I get really busy, I move it around, but I'm like, no, it's in my calendar. Yeah. Mine is on my to-do list every day, um, both meditating and um, doing Melissa Wood. And I do try and get out for walks. It doesn't always happen. But just doing her workouts, she's just got such a calming presence. It's really – it's like saving me right now. (laughs) So that and then just giving myself something to look forward to. Like I'm probably not 
gonna work as much as I usually would in November and December. I'm saying that now and who knows, because I'm going to be in Charleston and I want to take advantage of having time with my family and stuff. I'll still try and post every day, but I'm going to probably give myself a little bit more of a relaxed work schedule. So that's kind of what's getting me through. And also just reminding myself that I'm the, all the work that I'm doing right now makes me feel secure because you know, we are self-employed and it is really hard when things are so inconsistent, especially with the political climate right now and the election. I, I have a lot of nervousness around that. So I also like, again, this is a self-employed person thing. Like the more, the harder we work, the more money we earn. So I'm trying to just look at this as like a important earning period and then things will calm down. But yeah, I I hear this person. I'm super burnt out right now. And um, I'm just trying to be positive and remember that I'm doing everything I'm doing for a reason. And also to be excited about the projects I'm working on because some of them are really, really awesome. So today we're really excited to bring on a new advertiser. um, And that advertiser is BetterHelp. So this is something that I think is so great, especially during lockdown and COVID. But BetterHelp actually offers private, affordable online counseling when you need it from licensed board accredited therapists via online chat, video, or phone anytime or anywhere. Yes. So with the pandemic, with the upcoming election, and just so many other things happening in the world right now, just the general state of 2020, BetterHelp is doing really fantastic things. So BetterHelp will help you assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe, private online environment. It's so convenient. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. And you can message your counselor anytime from anywhere. Yeah. So you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. It's more affordable than traditional online counseling. And they also have financial aid available. Yes. And they're really committed to facilitating great matches. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. And they have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in everything from depression, stress and anxiety, to relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem issues. I was reading the testimonials on their site today, and they are amazing. They've helped so many people. And anything you share is, of course, always confidential. So we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash bad on paper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash bad on paper. Back to the episode. So let's get into some general work questions. Yes. So somebody wanted to know, is it ever too late to pivot careers? I don't think so. I think, I mean, if you're like the president of Bank of America and you're 60 and you want to start a fashion blog, you might not Do be it. making the same amount of money, but... I was going to say, you probably have a lot of financial stability if yeah. you're the CEO of a major company. Yeah, so, but I think that it's never too late. I feel like I, um, I've pivoted my career four times now and I will probably continue to do that. Um, as I get older, I feel like all of the skills that you learn from one career to the next, it'll surprise you how transferable they are. And maybe you'll have to take a step or two back. But, you know, as an adult with real life work experience and life experience, you'll probably move up faster than other people would. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, there's definitely circumstances that might make a career change difficult. So, you know, like having children or, you know, being the breadwinner in your family. So I understand that it's a very privileged thing to be able to change careers. But from a feasibility or like, is this a can I do this perspective? No, it's never too late for you to change careers. And I think when it's you, not you, Grace, but like you, the listener, when it's your problem, I feel like it always feels like a bigger deal than it is. Like people change jobs all the time. Like you have to be okay with the fact that you're maybe not going to make a lateral move into a completely different industry or career and you might have to make less money or, you know, it's going to be hard. But as long as you're okay with those things, like, no, it's never too late. Like I've had three careers since I've been on this, since we've had this podcast. I've had like eight. Yeah, I know. I feel like it, I feel like all the most interesting people I know outside of work have changed their careers. Like, I don't know. I don't know a lot of people who are doing what they went to college for and are like completely happy and fulfilled and interesting. And if that's you, that's fine. I'm not saying anything negative about that, but I'm just saying like it's only going to enrich your life and like make you a more interesting person. And the other thing is, I think there are very few career changes that are not take backable. I agree. I think people tend to think of it in black and white and it's like, well, try it. And if you don't like it, like you have experience doing something else, like go back to that. Totally. So no, I I don't think it's ever too late. I would agree. Someone wrote, once you decide to make a career shift, how do you make that scary first step? Well, I think the first thing is going into it and being really informed. So if, for instance, you're saying I am the CEO of Bank of America, in Grace's example, and I want to be, I want to become a fashion blogger. So the first thing is like one of the most outlandish situation. I don't care. It works. It works for the sake of this this like example. Um, so once you've decided that, I would say be be as informed as possible. So I would say try to meet with people who are doing the thing that you want to do and find out about their job. And I would specifically say, ask them about the bad parts. I obviously ask them about the good parts too and ask them about all your questions about breaking in, but specifically say like, what are the bad parts of your job? Because I feel like um, this was something I did when I wanted to start consulting. I feel like everyone's like, oh, the flexibility is so great. And like, I I love working for myself. But, you know, it's easy to gloss over the bad parts when you're talking to somebody who's thinking about making a move. So I think that if you wanted to become a fashion blogger, like have conversations, but also make sure to be like, Grace, what's the worst part of of your job? So you're going into it with eyes wide open. And it's not just something that you've romanticized because you don't know enough about it. So I would say learn everything you can um, and try to meet with people who are doing that. And hopefully that also is like a leg up in terms of becoming your network in the thing you want to move into. So, you know, helping you to find a job and assuming it's something you need to be hired for or, you know, giving you advice and support as you like venture into this new thing if it's something that's like self-employed. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Do you have anything to add? Um, I would also just say make sure that you're financially prepared. Um, yes, very good tip. I had over well over six months in savings when I decided to go to leave Bobble Bar and do and blog full time. I think it's so important to just be financially prepared because for me, like money is freedom, and I didn't feel comfortable making the change until I had that money saved and squirreled away. Yeah. So somebody wanted to know, they said, I'm 30 and it feels too late to go back to school. Is it really? 
I don't think so. It depends. I w- wouldn't want to go back to school right now. Yeah, I would say be certain. I, yeah. I would say if it's you, just so expensive. It's so expensive. That's what I was going to say. If you want to do anything that requires going back to school, it's such a time and money investment that not that it's not take backable if you decide you hate it, but you know, if you're if you decided you wanted to become a doctor now, like that's such a commitment. Such so a I would commitment. say like do even more upfront research to make sure it's something you want to do. But no, if you decide that it truly is, I mean, honestly, like I think it would be such a good experience because I'm when I was in college like I certainly wasn't taking it a hundred percent seriously and like learning and like using my professors as resources or or as much as I could have so I think like being more mature and having a better sense of self and also probably more commitment and less social um, engagements in invested in college like you would probably get more out of it yes someone wrote how do you join a startup without prior experience any tips on applying to startups I mean, I think that everyone at a startup is kind of just making it up. So I don't yeah. think that you need to have a specific experience. I think the number one thing that I looked for when I was interviewing to hire people at startups was a scrappiness to them and a can-do attitude. So if you were coming from, let's say, an agency or a larger company, making sure that that person just had like the right attitude um, and like seemed like they would figure be able to figure things out for themselves. But I think that's largely like a proxy for startup experience. Like as long as you have a startup mentality, I think you don't need to have necessarily worked in a startup before. Um, the other thing I would say is that like at a lot of startups, and I don't know what type of startup you're talking about, if you're talking about like a very late stage, mature startup that's like more organized, or if you're talking about like a four-person company, um, But in the latter case, like these small companies, it's incredibly disorganized. So I would say not just like applying online and going through the traditional process, but like reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn or finding an email address for them and sending them a side note. Like in when I was at Lola in the early days, like we didn't have HR, like I was hiring people to my team and I was like screening resumes in addition to my regular work. So like try to stand out in some way, not in a creepy way. I've had that too, where people like go over the top and it's like, do you remember at Bobble Bar when somebody sent those cupcakes that said foot in the door and we were so creeped out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't good cupcakes either. Um, Yeah. I feel like some of those like gimmicky things can backfire. But um, yeah, like trying to reach out to somebody outside of the application process because it's pro- it's probably more likely that it's somebody who is directly the hiring manager and not an HR representative who's like screening resumes and like I don't know like it's especially a bobble bar we used to get so many applications for any job because it was like in fashion and it was like a cool startup at the time uh, not to speak ill of it just like it was very buzzy yes. at the time and um so we would get thousands of applications for any job and so you know sometimes you're just kind of like it's hard cherry because, picking yeah. something that randomly stands out to you and at a startup you're so underwater all the time and just always in the weeds so sometimes like something just needs to stand out and you're like oh this looks good like i will interview this person yeah because you can you just physically i remember like it being like 11 o'clock and i was like just sitting down to like sift through resumes yeah so it's yeah just standing out is good i would say offer to help so this might sound weird um, the way that I got my job at Bobble Bar, which I don't know if you even know this, was I do know this. Um, 
I, so I, <laughs> I had my blog. My blog at the time was a hobby blog. Like things were made in Microsoft Paint. Like it was not, like I had a decent sized audience because people were just like really hungry for blogs back then. But um, I wrote about Bobble Bar and they reached out and like, so we just started emailing and I would send them ideas for bloggers to work with. Or I'd be like, oh, have you thought about this for social media? Or I'd be like, oh, there's a typo on your website. Like, I think I was like so fanatical. And this was this was when it was just the founders and one other employee because then they hired three, three employees all at the same time. And there was just six of us for a while. I think that was once they got their Series A. So I was like this like little squeaky wheel that was just like telling them things and to be honest, at the time, I didn't even want a job with them. Like I was working for Cody in the beauty industry and just thought I was being helpful and just liked them. But they ended up offering me a job. Like I remember them being like, so we're looking for a director of social media. And I was like, hmm, I don't really know anyone with experience. And they're like, no, like we want to hire you. And I was like, oh, and but like I just like started from a place of wanting to help them. So if it's an early stage startup, like you should try that. Like that's how Liz Gunn got her job there too. Like she would just come over after her finance job and like help them organize things. How did she know them? I don't remember. Oh, so she, she did know them. It wasn't she, just like a creepy thing where she's like, I'll come by. She met them randomly. She wasn't friends with them before okay. she worked there. I don't remember. I think she got introduced to them somehow and just liked what they were doing. She's now like a vice president there. I don't know what her title is, but she was one of the six with me. And um, she just offered to help like, cause she liked what they were doing and it turned into a job. And now she's like, she like runs like operations and, and sourcing. Yeah. Somebody else wanted to know, how do you make informational interviews or networking chats less awkward? Oh, I hate those. You know what? I think that, so you can never go wrong asking somebody questions about themselves and how they got to where they are. People love talking about themselves. So if you run out of questions about like the job, like ask about their career path, ask how they got where they were, ask like ask any personal question that like makes them feel important. Because the thing is is that even though you've probably done 18 of these informational interviews or networking chats, the other person isn't going around doing 18 of them probably. So like it's an I think having enthusiasm and like having energy, there's nothing worse than getting on a informational interview or like a networking chat and somebody doesn't have any questions. Yes. I would add to that though, because I get asked for a lot of this stuff and I've done so many career interviews and like just all of my life is very readily available online and as an introvert I actually don't love talking about myself like we talk about ourselves so much on the podcast and then I'm over on Instagram stories so when I have free time I like would rather have other people talk but um do your research like I feel like it's good to just like make it known that you like look them up and spent you know 20 minutes reading things and features on them and asking follow-up questions versus just making them talk about themselves because talking that the idea of having to talk about myself sounds exhausting Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Alex and I have talked about that a lot because she's like, I love when people ask me questions about myself. And I'm like, that is like my least favorite thing. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I know. Different personality types. Oh, my gosh. I I just want to hug this person. She said, how to know what the fuck to do with my life from a confused 19 year old. I just want to hug you. I mean, first of all, don't take it too seriously. I know that it's your life and you're worried about fucking up like 
here's a here's a a, a tip. I'm 30. I'm going to be 39 like in a week. And I still feel like I'm not quite sure what I'm doing with my life. I think that nobody really knows and nobody has it figured out. So just start with things that you think you like and you will very quickly figure out what you don't like. Like I always thought I wanted to be a fashion buyer and I got the job. I did all the work to get that job and I had it for a few years and I quickly realized I actually didn't like it because I liked product and marketing and um being really involved with that process as opposed to sitting at a desk and crunching numbers in Excel all day because I could, and I could do it. I had learned all the things and I just, I didn't like it. So I took that knowledge and I got a job in marketing where I could use the skills I built in the buying office, but it was much more product focused. And then from there I did, I actually really liked that job and I loved working in marketing, but the blog led me to a job in social media. And I think just figuring out things you really like and are good at, and then also getting really clear on what you don't like, and you'll just, you'll kind of figure it out. Yeah, I would say I totally agree with everything Grace said. I would also just say, don't be afraid to try something and have it not work out um, because in all likelihood it it won't. Not that, you know, you're going to get fired, but just like you might not like it. So I would say don't be afraid to try things and also don't settle. Like when you're young and early in your career, that's the easiest time to make changes because everyone's at an entry level. It's not it's not a traumatic thing to like be one year out of college and take a step back to the beginning and make a little less money. Like when you're making a much bigger salary to go back to an entry level role is like much higher stakes than it is when you're early in your career. So I would also say like if you find something that you don't like, move on. Yeah. But I also am sending you a virtual hug because I know how hard that is and confusing. And I feel like when I was in that, there's so much pressure that even me telling you that you shouldn't feel it like isn't going to do anything. So I feel you. The next question was, do you think it's bad to change jobs every one to two years? I've never liked my job or compensation enough to stay for longer, and now I want to move and find another job. No, I don't think that's bad. I I definitely, when I look at a resume and see somebody states were less than a year, it gives me pause to wonder what happened. And if that was a pattern, I would I would wonder what was going on. I think that changing jobs every one or two years is not out of the ordinary. I would say the longer you go in your career, if you've only ever been somewhere for one year at a time and you have like 15 jobs that you've all been at from one for one year, I would scratch my head a little bit. But no, I mean, as long as like you're ultimately trying to find somewhere where you want to stay for longer than one to two years and like it's not just like 15 one year stints at places... Go for it. Yeah, I would say up until you're like 28. I don't like to give numbers or like, but I think that like you do need to at some point stop hopping around. If your resume stops fitting on one page. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's totally normal to have those those little blips. but, But I think that if I was the hiring manager and I saw that someone had like 10 different jobs for one only a year, I would be like, do I want to invest in this person and train them and put all of these resources into this person? Because managing people is a lot of work too, just to have them go away. Like I just had to realize like no more interns because I spend so long training them and then they're gone. So I would, um, I would just, I don't think it's bad, but I think at some point 
if your resume stops fitting on one page, it might be time to to reconsider. When do you outsource versus do it yourself? This person says they're a control freak and struggle with this. Is this person me? Did you submit a question in the question box? I did not. But I struggle with this so much because I feel like there's, I was talking to you about this the other day. I was like, there's, I just can't outsource me. Like I can't have somebody else be in the shoots and I can't have somebody else responding to DMs. Like that feels unethical to have people, my audience think they're talking to me when it would be somebody else. Oh, it's so funny. I, I know you. I respect how you feel about that. And I know why you do. But like, I, that's the first thing I would outsource. And also, I told her that she should have her mom do her DMs because people would be nicer if they knew her mom was on the other end. I've really thought about it. But I just think that one of the things that I like about what I do is that I feel a really personal connection to my audience. And that would go away if I was to outsource the DMs. So right now, I just turn them off Put an hour on your calendar once a week to like go in and like, they're yours. You can answer them. I know. I just... It's. It would feel icky having someone else do it. What I do in this case to try and give some valuable advice to this person because I feel the same way because I, I know I can be breezy and spacey and and what have you, but I am super super control freak about all of my work. I've started to just think about what someone else can do. So even if it's like graphic design, for example, like I actually really like sitting and making those collages, but they take me like half of a day. So I hired a graphic designer who can do it. I think she charges $80 an hour and she does, she can make a beautiful collage in just an hour or photography. Like I would, during COVID, I spent so much time editing my photos because I'm just not great at Lightroom. So having someone do that for me, but it's tough. Like it's really hard when you're a control freak and also when it comes down on you so much. I feel like you're going to have a better, better advice for this person. I'm not a, I'm not a control freak. I am a control freak in a lot of ways, but I do not have a problem delegating. So I would say there are two cases where you should or two filters I would use for outsourcing. So the first one that Grace mentioned is anything you're bad at that you could pay somebody to do for a nominal fee better than you can do it. So you don't have to bother. So anything that you recognize that you are bad at. So like if, for instance, you're like, I'm terrible at accounting and numbers and business stuff, hire a bookkeeper. Like as long as it fits financially within your business or your budget, like hire somebody else. So when Grace is like, I don't like taking photos, she's bringing enough money, she can afford a photographer, great, outsource it. The other thing is anything that's repeatable and that you can put a process around. So I think it tends to be more trouble than it's worth, even if it's like minutia stuff that like isn't worth my time, if it's never going to happen again, because to teach somebody the process of how I want it done, then to have it be a one-off thing, unless it's like a huge one-off thing is not useful. That's so smart. That's really good advice. So if it's like something that, so for instance, in for rom-com pods, we have a production assistant, Sammy, who's awesome. And one of the things that she does is she organizes the tape. So we record and we have like 30 hours of recordings. And she basically takes all of the scenes and puts them together so that even if characters didn't record together, all of the tape, is together, if that makes sense. And like, it's a monstrous effort. Like it's like probably like a hundred hours of work a season. So it's like, that is a process that like, even if it's rocky at the beginning, and I'm not saying it was, she's a pro, but like, even if something is, it takes time for somebody to learn because it's a process that you're going to do multiple times, it's probably worth it to outsource it. If it's something that somebody else could do and that is taking up 
your time that you could spend elsewhere. So I would say those are two filters that like I use in terms of outsourcing. I think that's great advice. Because ultimately, in a ideal state, like you should be doing work that only you can do. So for instance, like for Grace, like Grace can be the only one in her photos because otherwise it would be very strange and alarming. <laughs> Grace can be the one who's writing posts, but like any other tangential things that like are not necessary for you to do, like you should be doing the work that only you can do. Yeah. I think a big thing for me was having somebody manage my partnerships because that is like very scary to let go of. And I'm such a control freak. I feel like sometimes Kristen feels micromanaged by me because I'm just like always checking in and I'm like, what's the status on this? But um, having someone to do the negotiation side of my business really helped. I mean, that's kind of um, hiring up instead of hiring down. Yeah. Because usually you think of outsourcing as like, delegating tasks that are beneath you versus that's like at your level or higher. Yeah. So I'd say with something like that, like checking references and making sure that you feel sound about the decision and not just like flinging it out into the ether. Yeah. The only reason I was able to trust her with that was that, well, I met her in person and I really liked her, but um, my friend Erica, er- Erica from Honestly WTF swore by her. So um, having that reference really helped to feel like I could trust her. All right. Shall we get into our meaty scenarios? Yes, let's do it. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry to anyone who we don't answer because so many of you sent them in. So we'll try to get through as many as we can. So the first person said, I've been a full-time registered dental hygienist for the past eight years. I was furloughed in March due to COVID and then declined the offer to return to work when my former employer quickly and unsafely reopened his office in early May. I've thought for several years that I'd like to start a new career, even if that means starting over at an entry-level position. I have two undergraduate degrees, Psychology 06 from SMU and here in Dallas, and earned my dental hygiene degree from a different college in 2012. I stumbled across the general career title of market research analyst and got very excited. I could see this as a good fit professionally. My resume reflects the past 12 years working in the dental field. A marketing friend has advised me to take courses online, such as those offered by Coursera, to start gaining marketing training. As a marketing professional, can Becca recommend any other resources? I'm definitely willing to pay for services or trainings. Um, So unfortunately, I can't really recommend any. I do not, to be honest with you, I do not know that there are any trainings that would hold weight if I were looking at a resume and I saw that somebody had done XYZ training that I would be like, oh, okay, like that has a lot of value. I know that Google offers like a Google Analytics certification program. So you could definitely look into that because I think like marketing analytics is more of a tactical, technical area of marketing where having some experience would be useful. But I would say to this person that this is the case where I would network into it. So finding people who are doing this job, talking to them and getting your foot in the door by like just getting in the mix a little bit. Because especially if you make a good impression and that person knows that you're willing to start at the beginning and knows your story and can maybe recommend you once a job comes up, even if it's like they're not the hiring manager, it's just like somebody on the team. Like I think that probably would hold more weight because I don't want to be too negative, but like you're right. Like I probably would not look at this person's resume and be like, I want that person. Yeah, I agree. I don't have a lot to add here, but I would say networking and just like trying to set up some informational interviews with people who have that job that you want. And maybe, maybe it's, I just don't know. I feel like 
It's almost like you have to like get an unpaid internship. I was just going to say an internship would could be really good. Yeah, I don't want to I never like to advocate working for free. But this is such a dramatic situation where you have like none. Sorry, but like none of the right experience. And there's going to be like plenty of people who want that job, especially in this economic climate. So I would try and get some kind of like unpaid way to like to work and learn about the job and also networking, of course. Yeah, I, I think that's a great suggestion. The next question, I don't really think we have any business answering, but I think that it's an interesting one. This person wrote, I am pregnant and I am severely underpaid in my law job. My boss and I have been discussing my maternity leave and she, this makes me so mad, sorry. She, a woman, is gently but still obviously encouraging me to take a shorter mat leave than when I was legally entitled to. She tells me about women who went into labor while working and how well things went for them, which I don't appreciate. I would not appreciate that either. Honestly, if I was paid more, I would consider it, but in my high-stress, low-paying job, I don't want to compromise my mental or physical health right before my baby is born. I care deeply about my clients, and they're the only reason I'd work more than necessary. Do you want to take a first crack? I don't know. I My heart just goes out to this person because like, that's, that's fucked. That's fucked, right? It is. It's no, it, it totally is. I don't know. Here's what I would do. And again, I'm not in this situation. I'm not pregnant. I, I don't have children. So take this advice with a grain of salt. But I, I agree. I think it's a really interesting question. I think my advice would also be different in different economic climates because right now it's like so hard to find a job. Well, I don't think you're at risk of losing your job. I mean, maybe no. they would retaliate because you don't do what they suggest. But I would say take the long mat leave. Take the mat leave that you want and are entitled to for two reasons. So the first reason is... That like you're not sneaking it under the radar. Like you're having a baby, you're gonna leave for some amount of time anyway. And so like it's not as if it's like black and white where it's like take mat leave or don't take mat leave. So like I kind of am just like take the whole thing and then figure it out afterwards. So whether that means coming back and advocating for more pay or coming back and just like really kicking ass or coming back and finding a new job, like you're gonna have to take mat leave. You're gonna want you want to take mat leave. Like just do it to the fullest and then deal with it after. You're legally protected. You're not going to you're not going to get fired. So like even if this person doesn't totally agree, like it's not like you're going to compromise and take none. I like that advice. The other thing I would say is take the mat leave because you don't know how you're going to feel. You might have the baby and say, "Oh, I I do feel like I'm ready to go back earlier." But you're never going to, if you commit to doing the shorter mat leave, you're never going to get more. So I would say take longer and you have the option open and don't tell this woman because it sounds like if you give her an inch, she might take a mile. But like you could always decide depending on how your birth goes and depending on how you adjust to motherhood that you can go back earlier. But I don't think you can predict that in advance, no matter how many other people you talk to, just because like your particular situation might be completely different. I think that's really good, really good advice. I have nothing to add. Nothing? I just really, it, this question upset me. And I just, the idea that like of being encouraged to work right until you go into labor and then being told how well that went for someone, this, the, your boss sounds like a master manipulator. Yeah, I don't disagree with that either. Yeah, and I just feel bad for this person. But I also want to be practical because you're also really lucky to have a job right now. Um, it sucks. It makes me upset. I agree. 
All right. So this next one, this person said, I started a new job in April, um, the same company, but a promotion and transfer to a new role. She said, I love my job, coworkers, and company. However, I'm realizing my manager is not ideal. She's incredibly nice, but it gets to be too much sometimes. She doesn't give developmental feedback or constructive criticism. She always just says the, you're rocking it, which is great to hear, but can't be 100% of, but can't be true 100% of the time. She's also very scatterbrained and doesn't set boundaries for herself. She's one of those who's always says, I'm so busy or I know we have so much going on. She's late to every meeting. She's a professional meeting attender and not a good people manager. I want to get promoted, but I have no idea what I need to do in order to get there because she won't tell me or give me areas to improve. I also know we're about to lose a good employee because of the same issue. I've tried multiple times to get her feedback from her. She and I lead a radical candor-based training for our employees at the beginning of the summer, but she just won't do it. I have relationships with the executive leadership team, but I don't want to skip level my director and damage a good relationship. Ooh, that's hard. That's a good question. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, The thing that I don't understand in this question, so we'll answer it anyway, but um, is getting a promotion being promoted into this person's job or is there a different promotion that is like not endangering this person's role? Because yeah. if you if she has to be promoted for you to be promoted or if your promotion endangers her job, maybe there's like something else going on here. I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious about that too because it depends so much on the kind of company it is because if it was like for me example for example when I was at Cody I could easily promote assistants into manager roles without jeopardizing my own job but when I was at Bobble Bar like for Ilana for example I wanted to promote her but there was nowhere to go where are you gonna go like I tried to get her like uh, up to like senior manager but I was just the director so like if she wanted to stay in social it was like take my job (laughs) yeah um so that would be good to understand. I think having a really honest conversation with her and just being like, listen, like, I think feedback is a gift. Like, that's something we always said when I was at P&G. And, you know, I'm so happy that you think I'm doing a good job, but I always want to be doing better. And I want to know how I can be pitching in more and, you know, getting to the next level. And just saying, like, I can't always, like, kind of what you said in this question, like, what was that line? She said, which is great, but it can't be true 100% of the time. Like, say that to her and, you know, have that conversation because I think, and like, kind of say something to the fact that you're not going to be able to improve if you don't get some negative feedback or action points or things you could be working harder at. I have two suggestions. So I would say the first one is to make it more tactical. So, Tell her that you want a development plan to have a path to be promoted and um, ask her to work with you to like document and write out a plan. So I think maybe having more um, asking for it in the context of wanting to be promoted at some point, you just got promoted. So knowing it's not now, but knowing what that looks like and what you need to do and having it written down might be um a question that's harder to dodge and having it written down might also make it more thoughtful as opposed to like if she's just like super busy and she's like you're doing great because she doesn't want to deal with it so I would say you could try that sounds like you have some kind of impact in the way that your company does management training or reviews (laughs) I mean this is kind of a wild suggestion because it's a lot it's a big thing and it's a lot of work just to get feedback but you could also try 
to spearhead some kind of like 360 feedback program where you're getting feedback from other people who maybe you manage if you manage anyone or other peers or other people that you work with so that even if she's not giving you feedback, you're getting feedback from other people. I love that. We had that at P&G and it was so helpful having like those cross-functional counterparts giving feedback. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's a lot of work. That's like a big (laughs) big undertaking just to get feedback. So I understand if that's like out of the question. But I mean, that could be interesting. And especially because it sounds like you're not the only one impacted by this and that somebody else is on the brink of leaving. Like it might benefit more people than just you if this program existed for even just your team, not even your whole company. Somebody wrote, I am 26 and I have been with my current company for the past three and a half years. I work in a very specific industry focused in higher education and I love what I do in the company I work for. I am potentially looking to change industries as my current industry has been hit hard by COVID like so many others. My industry is specific, but my skill set lies in marketing and sales. I am looking to potentially get into a tech company or a startup, but I'm not sure how to explain what I do now and how it translates to a different company. I hate feeling like hiring managers are not interviewing me because I am not articulating what I can do or willing to learn how to do it in my resume or cover letter. Do you have any advice for explaining the skills that you have without pigeonholing yourself into one industry? I feel like I do so much in my current position that it is really hard to describe what it is that I do. Sorry if that literally made no sense, she wrote. That makes sense. It totally makes sense. I dealt with this um, when I was leaving Procter & Gamble because I was laid off, um, but they did it really nicely. It was in 2008 with the recession, and um, they they cut 40% of our team, so they laid us all off with, I want to say, six weeks notice and three and a half months of severance. Well, everyone's severance was different. But I really wanted to, I remember, and so maybe my advice is bad, I really wanted to work in fashion or something different because I had always been in beauty, but I was, I had that P&G marketing experience and I thought, you know, hey, this could translate to any job. And I did not have much luck. I applied to Equinox and they never got back to me. I applied to Guilt Group. I wanted that was 2008 Guilt Group was oh, like yeah. the height of things. Can you imagine? Oh my god, I wanted to work for Guilt Group so badly. But in hindsight, I think that what I could have done better was networking and I feel like we're a broken record with the whole networking thing, but I didn't have the contacts, so I was going into all of these jobs applying blindly and you know writing things in my cover letter and trying to get noticed by like putting I put my resume and all the stuff in a guilt group box and like made like a whole package for them that looked like a a guilt group box. I was obsessed with guilt group. This was again 2008 a long time ago. Um and I fr- I got ignored, got ignored, got ignored, ended up getting another job within the beauty industry. And then I did ch- get into fashion, but that was through my blog and connections that I had made and I was the one being like, I'm not, I'm not qualified for this job. And they're like, yes, you are because of the other thing you've done. So I would maybe try and figure out like a bridge almost like for me to get into fashion from beauty was having my blog. And I, I didn't do this on purpose. It was just something I liked, but being able to show what I could build on my own. Um, so if you're able to find a bridge or like create something that shows your passion for that other industry that could help. And then you could say, and I can translate these skills to that. Um, And also 
really working to network and make connections in the, that industry that you want to get into. Does that make sense? I, I tried to lead yeah. with giving my my own personal failure there and what I would do differently. I think one thing you could try to do, and I assume that this, because you're in marketing or sales, would be feasible, is um, use data. So quantify things on your resume wherever possible. So you exceeded your sales quota by 50%. You led to X percent growth. Like Use data to tell a story because even if they don't understand what you do, quantifying it is understandable and it shows that you you drive results. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's something that you could lean on in your resume. The other thing is like a little bit of tough love. I would say you need to workshop it because nobody is going to go out of their way to understand your story or what you do unless you explain it clearly. So use your friends, use your mom, like use the person who would least understand your job and figure out how to write it in a cover letter, like to explain it so that they understand what you do. And like it might take 10 drafts, but like find somebody who loves you, who's very patient and go back and forth until you figure out a way to present what you do, because that's your job. Like nobody's going to go the extra mile to like Google and figure this out if they don't get it. So it's probably worth sinking the time in there rather than like just waiting for that needle in a haystack opportunity. Yeah, I agree. All right. I think we have time for a couple more. So this person said, um, I'm about two months away from finishing my MBA. It's an entirely online program. So the con is that I don't have any of the established network most people leave their MBA with. The pro is that I'll graduate debt-free from an accredited school. I'm 26, and I've been in my current position with a tech startup for two years. I've never received a raise while here. I'm currently being paid $55,000 while living in New York City until a few weeks ago, now moved to Philly. I know I'm being underpaid in comparison to my male coworkers doing the same job as me with the same experience. I also just moved to a new city, so have to figure out what is comparable pay here. I know before you've talked about how Glassdoor and Payscale aren't super accurate, but I'm not sure what else to do in this scenario. With the pandemic, it's hard to casually discuss pay comps in the same way you can at a networking happy hour. Any advice for discussing a pay raise, I'm definitely owed and qualified for with a sexist boss at a bro-y tech startup. Yikes. Yikes is right. So that sucks. Um, I mean, I think hopefully now having your MBA, that's something that you can leverage having more education in order to get a raise. Um, But the thing I would say is that there are really good networking groups. So ladies get paid comes to mind. Um, And a lot of these networking groups are meant for the purpose of women talking to each other about pay. So you could go into a group like that. And I, I don't know specifically what you do, but it doesn't sound like it's so niche that you wouldn't be able to find others with a similar role um, and get comps that way. Um, There's also a lot, depending on what field you're in, there's also, you might be able to find crowdsourced lists of anonymously submitted salaries um, with details. So you could also look in groups like Ladies Get Paid or um, I don't know if there's any like groups that are specific to your industry, but um, there are definitely lists like that floating out there that you could look for. Because yeah, I, I think where you're going is right, like using data to support your argument and not just like emotion is the best way. But hopefully since you've also been here for a while, um, 
creating your brag book and and justifying why you deserve more based on your merits and accomplishments and not just based on the fact that your male coworkers earn more, even though that's super fucking frustrating and you do deserve it regardless, but um, basing it in your achievements for the company um, and also hopefully your future growth opportunity now that you have a higher degree and are going to put that to use for them. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Yeah. But yeah, Glassdoor kind of sucks. Yeah. Sorry, Glassdoor. (laughs) All right. Shall we do one last one? Yes. It's a long one. Okay. This person writes, I'm in my 30s and have spent my career working in a field which I absolutely love. A few years ago, I got a job with my dream employer and have really enjoyed working for that employer and what my job entails. However, my job is travel-related and thus is 100% on hold due to COVID. I'm very lucky that my employer found the opportunity to temporarily transfer me to a different department with heightened need, so I'm still employed. But, and this is where I know I sound really whiny, I just do not like this job. I still love the employer, I like my new team, and I'm very grateful to still be employed. I recognize my privilege to have a job, and I'm trying to remember the benefits I get from this new temporary position, cross-departmental training, interacting with high-level people that I would otherwise not have, a greater exposure across the company, etc. And once things are settled, I'm able to get back to my other real job. But in the meantime, I've realized, especially in the past few weeks, I'm just not happy. I'm bummed out all the time. I'm doing my best to find happiness outside of work with journaling, meditating, working out daily, and I read a ton. And I do have medical support from my psychiatrist, so I know my mental health is not in the red zone right now. But I'm just sad to be working in a job where I don't find any enjoyment. I absolutely won't be trying to find a new position. My field is dead right now, and I love my old job so, so much, and I'm excited to get back. But it's hard to be working without an endpoint in something that isn't for me, and I need an attitude adjustment. Help. Oh, my God. I feel like this is like the COVID mentality. I, I will say at the on the upside, this person is self-aware to recognize all of this. Yes, and I think that she's really grieving the fact that she's not doing her dream job and that things have changed and we don't have an end point and it sucks. Yeah. I think so many people can probably relate to a lot of what this person said. Totally. I mean, obviously it's temporary. So hopefully that helps that it's not forever. There's some light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know. I would say to this person, maybe this is an opportunity to practice being a work to live person, not a live to work person. I talk about this all the time with my friends where I feel like for better or for worse, I am a live-to-work person where I derive a lot of my self-worth and my happiness happiness from work. I'm the same. And I I almost wish that I wasn't. Um, where I think that there were there are definitely benefits to the other side of being a work to live person. So maybe this is a time to experiment with being a work to live person where you're working and you're doing a good job at your job to collect your paycheck to enable you to do other things. So if there is something that you have always wanted to do, whether that's like a hobby or whether that's learning something or whether that's um, I don't know what goal it might be, like maybe try out using this time to do that and investing less of your mental energy into work, which sounds super terrible, but you know, you got to get through somehow. So 
Yeah. And I think trying to spin it as like they like you so much that they found this other role for you, which is amazing. And I know that. So one thing that came to mind, and I don't know why this came to mind, was when I was at Filene's, uh, I was an assistant buyer and then I was an associate buyer. And then we all lost our jobs because Macy's bought us. But my step after associate buyer before buyer was going to be they make everyone go out to stores and be a manager in, in a store for like a year as like broadening experience. And that experience is so good and you learn from it, but it's miserable. Like you're you're working, you're on your feet all day, you're in a store, you're and nothing against if someone who's listening is a store manager. I think that that can be a great job. But for someone who's used to being at a desk all day in meetings, like I was just like really dreading that. So I think looking at this as like a broadening experience and something that is going to give you skills and get you like hopefully to an even better place in your career um, is a good way to look at it. I think a perspective shift is always helpful. But I like Becca's advice a lot. Like, Focus on other things outside of your job right now. Take up a creative hobby. Um, Renovate your house. I don't know. Yeah, redecorate. Learn to make jewelry. Start painting. I don't know what do, your do interests Duolingo are. and like start a new, learn a new language. Like. Take masterclass. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry though. I think that this, this question just, I think is really, really makes me think of that article. I, I think it was in the New York Times of, a while a while ago about how like that feeling that we're all experiencing right now is grief and she's grieving her dream job because this pandemic just like came for everything truly yeah i'm sorry same should we wrap it up on a, a couple of lighter notes yeah grace what are your favorite school supplies so mine are really simple i have a notebook and like a spiral bound notebook so I have one page for every day of the week. I, I start a new list. Like right now I have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I like put the, all the tasks that I have to do on that list. And then the opposite page, I take notes. And that's that works really good for me. And then I can rip out the page when I'm done with it and don't need it anymore. Oh, you rip it out? I rip it out. Oh my God, that's so savage. Yeah, it feels good. Oh, and does, rip it, does out. it bother you that the, the spine then has like those spiky pages hanging No, out? I pull those out. Oh, okay. Yeah. And my favorite, I talked about my, we were talking about school supplies a little bit earlier. I love my rifle paper pen. It has palm leaves all over it. It's so pretty, but the ink and the way that it writes is really nice. And then I love those little stickers. Like, I feel like I'm always looking at magazines and Like the Lucky Magazine stickers? Like the little tab stickers. I love those. Okay. And those just make me happy because I feel like I – you've seen my coffee table book collection. Like I'm constantly – one of my – and magazines too. My favorite thing to do is to not look at the computer and like look at a coffee table book or a magazine to get some inspiration. And I like to use those little stickers um, to mark things down. My Quaalude box is full of them. Oh. Yeah. I was – I don't have a lot of school supplies. It's just my favorite pen, my notebook – and um, those little stickers. I put this question in here so I can talk about post-it notes. Oh, my God. I knew it. I knew this was coming. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't talked about them in like a year. Maybe there's new people here who don't know how how committed I am to large-lined post-it Becca notes. Becca has extra long, large. They look like a little notepad. And it's really funny going over her house because she has them. They're everywhere. The, and they're always like perfectly straight. And then your writing is perfectly straight. And I call them her serial killer notes. You do. Yeah. So I... I am a devotee to large lined post-it notes. It's probably like the size of four regular post-it notes. And I think it's the perfect size for a to-do list. They come in fun colors. I always have them. 
and I write my daily to-do list on it. And sometimes I write my to-do list out multiple times because it annoys me once I cross off too many things and it looks messy because my serial killer notes need to be neat. (laughs) They are my be-all, end-all, and I can't function without them. I also will only use one type of pen. It is the Sharpie pen. Um, not a Sharpie marker. It is like the fine tip Sharpie pen. Oh, I like those. They also come in colors, but I will not write with anything else. I have tons of them on my person at any given time. I mean, not during COVID because I don't carry a purse anymore, but in real life, I always have them with me. Um, And then my friend Allie got me what ended up being such a lovely birthday gift. She So sometimes when I get really stressed out or I have a lot going on, and especially when we're in post-production for rom-com pods, I, in addition to my post-it notes, I need a legal pad because I have too much to write down and I need more space. And so my friend Allie for my birthday got me a beautiful, nice legal pad, not just like the crummy staples kind. And she got it from McNally Jackson. I don't know the brand, but it's beautiful. And so now it makes me happy to have like a pretty legal pad as opposed to a budget one. That is so funny. But I love talking about school supplies. Do you have any others you want to share? I have a ruler that says fuck off on it. I also have that, but I broke it. Oh, What else do I have? My dinosaur highlighter makes me pretty happy. Yeah, I love a highlighter. I like the yellow, just a regular old highlighter. I don't think it's anything special. Yeah, I don't have a lot of school supplies. Somebody asked also about book recs for finding a new career path. Do you have any book recs? No. Oh. I would say... I know business books, but I don't think I have one about careers. I don't have one specifically about careers either, but also to go back to one of my tried and true recommendations, I feel like, you know how some dads, like, they're like, duct tape fixes anything. I'm like, you should read Big Magic. Big Magic fixes anything. It, it, it's your duct tape or your Windex. It's my Windex. Yeah. So I honestly think that, like, reading Big Magic wouldn't be a bad move. Great. By Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. Um, I was hoping you had more tactical recs and then I could just come in with my... Yeah, I don't. I really, I remember reading a long time ago, The Career Code, when it first came out, and that's by the founders of Who, What, Where, and they have interesting stories of how they pivoted and, like, built their site, which is now, like, this multi-website conglomerate. Like, it's, like, a whole media group. But I thought it was good. I wouldn't, like, say go out and buy it, though. And this is not necessarily a helpful recommendation, but if you would like a fiction book that might inspire you about career changes. I read this book a couple of years ago and I really enjoyed it. And it's called The Shortest Way Home by Miriam Parker. And the book is about a woman who is just finishing her MBA and goes on a trip to Napa and makes a lot of life-changing decisions about her life and career. And I really enjoyed it. It has not great reviews on Goodreads apparently, but I liked it. So maybe I always... I feel like that's the same title as Pete Buttigieg's book. It might be. It's not by Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. What's his book called? Shortest Way Home. So it is almost the same as his book. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have that book. It's on my shelf. And then I was like, but it's not that. No, it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. Shall we get into some end matter? Yes, let's do it. Um, Instagram obsessions. Okay. So I... I'm going to butcher this, so forgive me in advance. My French pronunciation is not good. So it's Les Roches Rouges. So it's L-E-S-R-O-C-H-E-S-R-O-U-G-E-S. So Lydia sent me a post from this hotel 
Oh, I like the this. other week. It's a hotel in the south of France. I probably can't afford to stay there. I didn't even look up the prices, but it looks insane. It has this like pool that overlooks the water. And it's not even really important that I can't afford to stay there. I'm just like dreaming of going on a vacation there. And it's brought me a lot of peace to see their photos pop up in my feed. Oh, they're beautiful. I just followed them. Oh, yeah. I yeah. We should look up prices before we get too attached. But whew, oh. I've been enjoying the heck out of this one. Yeah. What's yours? I have two. Um, one is called Lichen NYC, L-I-C-H-E-N NYC. Um, it's just beautiful furniture, like really, really beautiful furniture. I found this from Claire and Erica, who like I love their newsletter and I love their taste and they just find the coolest stuff. But I just want everything that they make. It's beautiful. And then my other one is a photographer um, and she just wrote a book. Her name is Alyssa Rosenheck. And she just wrote a book called The New Southern. And it's all about like, it's all full of architecture and homes and interiors. And it's just beautiful. Um, because I think the South is really changing, especially aesthetically as more and more creative people from New York and um, the North move down and um, make it their own. So I really I, I have her book. She sent it to me, which was so kind of her. But I really like her aesthetic and her feed, and I think she's really cool. Ooh. Yeah. What about on the obsessions front? My obsession is all of Nottam's fall cashmere. I love it all. I worked with them on a sponsored post last week, and they sent me this amazing matching set. It's like these wide-leg cashmere oh i saw you in them yes and like a turtleneck thingy and it's like wearing a hug i also got some cashmere leggings and a bunch of sweaters from them if you look at my blog it's all there but it's sick it's so good i am i love their i've i've been a big fan of their cashmere for a long time last year i bought the um their like cashmere joggers and hoodie set in um, forest green. And it was like my airplane outfit, which quickly just became my everything outfit because I loved it so much. I feel like my springtime quarantine aesthetic was like hungover college senior. I was wearing like a lot of just like sweats and like logo t-shirts. Yeah. But like maybe I'm going to invest in like cashmere loungewear and my maybe my fall aesthetic is going to be like rich divorcee, like Diane Lane movie. Oh, yeah. I'm and just all wearing about that cashmere. Mm hmm. So a lot of monochromatic. Yes. So love them, everything they're doing. There's also I have a discount quote on my blog. They're not a podcast sponsor, but it's Grace 15 if you if you're interested. I need the weather to cool down a little bit before I decide my fall aesthetic. Yeah. Right now it's just voting apparel. I could see you rocking those um the um wide leg crop pants. Mm. They're so they're so comfy. I was up in, when I was in the Finger Lakes, I brought all of this with me because I was like, oh, maybe I can get my sister to take some pictures. We took no pictures. But it's just so cozy and warm. How about you? So, I mean, my obvious one is my soul cycle bike. I'm obsessed with it. Yes. But um, this is a very niche wreck. Um, so I think that my new hobby, I'm not joking about this, is going to be making bodega flower arrangements. I saw on your Instagram. Okay. So have you been to the bodega at Graham and Metropolitan? No. Okay, so it's a little out of That's the way. Far. It is far. But it, there's a park that I like over there. So I go walk at the park and then I go there on the way home. They have the best flowers. I got so many flowers. They were $33. They have like much better flowers than most bodegas, like yeah. more 
I don't know, like artisanal flowers. Um, so I'm going to get really into flower arranging. And next time I will get extra flowers and I will make you an arrangement and bring it down. I can't wait. Yeah. Do you have any color preferences? I like white and green and some colors, but not a lot of color. What color do you want? Like this is not as a general preference, but like in this, like what state your request? Yellow. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What about reading? Okay. So I finished Destination Wedding by Diksha Basu and I loved it. Loved that book. It was so good. I think that would have been a good book club pick. Totally. If we had known about it. Totally. So Grace talked about this and then I talked about it last week. It's about a Indian American woman who goes to her cousin's wedding in India with her whole family and it's this very opulent wedding. And um, she's kind of in the midst of um, figuring out her career and um, also just like her cultural identity. Um, and it's like definitely my niche of like soapy book with serious topics. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a delight. I loved it. I loved it. And I really identified with the main character. I feel like we would be friends in real life. I felt the same way. Um, so I really liked reading from her point of view and her like inner monologue. So I, I finished that. And then I started, in case you missed it, by Lindsay Kelk, who also wrote um, one of my favorite British rom-coms from last year. She wrote... Um, uh, one in a million, which I read over Christmas. And I liked the other one better. <laughs> I I think she's a delight and I love following her on Instagram. So I don't want to say anything bad. And I think this book is a is really cute and a warm hug. So if you are very into the genre of British rom-coms, like I am, I, I don't regret it. But if you're going to start this author for the very first time and you're not as entrenched in British rom-coms, I would say start with one in a million, which I really, really enjoyed. What about you? Okay, so I finished Heartbones by Colleen Hoover, which we talked a little bit about last week, and I actually called it the wrong name. I called it Heart and Bones, but it's Heartbones. And you gave it to me. I is gave it, it a, to you. Is it a romance or a thriller? It is a romance with a little bit of a twist. It's kind of YA because it's about kids. It's okay. good. I really liked it. I would say that I didn't love it as the rest of Colleen Hoover's books, but I would say you haven't read all of Colleen Hoover's books, though, because she's been writing for a really Not long time and she is a her got her start in like YA. Yeah, I think I've only read four or five of her books. I love her, though, everything I've read. So I would say like I'd take a medium Colleen Hoover book over most books any day. Um, I still really enjoyed it. The next one I read was The Ties That Tether by Jane Igaro. And that's the um, the Nigerian romance that everyone's been talking about. You gave this to me. I'm very excited about this one. This is excellent. Um, It is so good. Similar to um, Destination Wedding, I wanted to be friends with the main character. I thought she was like such a strong, interesting woman. She was only 25. I felt like there were some holes in the book. Like this 25-year-old was a creative director for this ad agency. And I was kind of like, "Mm, maybe not. Sometimes I get hung up on these like small details. Me too. I get so fixated. I'm like, that's not real. I can't remember. Why does she have a glass office? I can't remember what book I read, but I remember I read a book where the main character's drink of choice was a Cape Cotter. I I remember that. 
get over you it. You couldn't get past I that. I couldn't. Yes, I know. Like some of these little details, but it was excellent. So this one was about a woman who, she is Nigerian born when she was 12. She moved to Canada. Her mother is like very, very, like really values culture and is just constantly setting her up with all of these awful Nigerian men. And then one day she goes on a terrible date with this like really sexist guy and winds up downstairs at the bar underneath the restaurant and meets sexy Raphael, who is um, Spanish and therefore like wildly offensive to the mother and like ends up having to make some decisions about like heart versus family. And I loved it. I thought it was excellent, despite the minor hiccups. Um, <laughs> at least she didn't drink it. I'm just like, you're 25. You're not a creative director. And you don't have an office with all glass walls. <laughs> like, no. Um, you might as well drink a Cape Cotter. So that I read that. And then I read Before She Was Helen by Caroline Cooney, which everyone knows Caroline Cooney. She's written over. We do? Yeah, she's written over 90 books. Like, I read her as a kid. Um, What's her most notable book that I would know? I don't know. She's like an R.L. Stein type. Like, you just made a statement that you're like, everyone knows Caroline Cooney. And I'm like, I don't know Caroline Cooney. Oh, my God. It, my DMs exploded when I showed her book. They're like, blast from the past, Caroline Cooney. Um, she writes. feel like, very uncultured right now. No, she writes like kind of like R.L. Stein. Remember him? Yeah. So I don't remember what books he wrote. but Goosebumps. Yes, that's a series, though. That's not the name of the book. Anyways, the camera steals your soul. Okay, so maybe you you remember. I am older than you, and I'm allowed to have more senior moments. I don't remember the names of her other books. I know I read them when I was younger. But she wrote um, a book called Before She Was Helen. And this one, you know I love an old people romance. This was an old people murder. Oh, uh-huh. like geriatric? Yeah, they're living in a retirement community in South Carolina. I kind of love that. Yeah, and it goes back and forth between past and present. And the main character, Clemmy, had like some really significant trauma and abuse. And um, so there is a trigger warning. There is rape in this, but it's not graphic. It was excellent. Um, I only would give it like a B because I felt like the old part people part did drag on a bit and I found myself a little bit bored, but I really wanted to know what happened to her in her past. So I that was kind of what kept me interested. So I was only medium on it, but the the story of her past was excellent, if that makes any sense. So half the book was meh and half the book was excellent. Then um, last night I started reading Magic Lessons by Alice Hoffman, um, but I'm really in a conundrum because I started reading it last night and it's going a little slowly because it's about like the 17th century and I'm just I like, read the description. I was like, I don't want to read that. And I'm just not into it yet. But Alice Hoffman is like my mom and my favorite. It's my mom's favorite author. And so I need to read it so that I can give it to her because I also want to read it to talk about it with her. But I'm bored out of my mind so far. Um, I'm going to give it some more time. But the problem is, is that the roommate just came in the mail. And I want to read this so badly. I saw. So first of all, Ashley Spivey compared it to the idea of you. Yes. And I do feel like Ashley Spivey in the past has been an unreliable comparer of the idea of you. Yeah. But I've seen rave reviews for it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So even if it's not the idea of you. Hannah Orenstein posted that it was. I forget what she wrote. She wrote it in a really classy way. She's like, if you're comfortable reading something a little bit more smutty or a little more. Um, steamy or risque she's like this is excellent and I was like oh sign me up I got it in the mail too I need to finish the Lindsay Kelk book so I can start it because I'm I'm dying by 
the buzz around it that I feel yeah. like it's going to be like amazing. I might just table um, Magic Lessons for now and then read that after and read this first because I feel like I just really like need one of those books that sucks you in. There are no 17th century witches for me outside of um, the Discovery of Witches series. Yeah. I don't need any more 17th century well, witches. I, I loved Practical Magic so much. So I'm enjoying reading like all I read the other one, Magic Lessons Practical. There's another one. I know. I read it too. I don't um, remember what it's called either. Yeah. But, and I love Alice Hoffman. And I also feel that I need to get this to my mom as soon as possible so that she can read it before it comes out. My mom I, likes the insider perks. So I have a suggestion. Yeah. Why don't you just mail it to your mom and buy yourself a new copy to come when it comes out? It feels wasteful. Okay. I have a weekend of alone time coming up. So I think I can read both. Life's too short to read books you don't want to read. No, but I do want to read it. I just, I want to read The Roommate first. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can be in a two-person book club with The Roommate, and then you and your mom can be in a two-person book club of um, yes. press, magic, whatever. You just said the title seven times, and I cannot remember what it's called. I'm glad what I say means something to <laughs> I'm listening. Magic lessons. Magic lessons. Anyway. You want to call it Big Magic. Because I know. Because <laughs> that's your favorite book. It is. It fixes everything. <laughs> Anyway, if you are looking for something to read, next week is our September book club, and we are discussing Majesty, which is the second book in the American Royal series. And we did a great interview, not an interview, we just had like a book club conversation with Catherine McGee, who's the author of the book. And she gave us so much good behind the scenes, like gossip and also like a, a lot of context of like things that were on the cutting room floor. I, th- I thought it was a fascinating conversation. So I'm very excited. I also just have a lot to say about this book because it surprised me so much. Literally 100% of my predictions for it were wrong and I loved it anyway. So if you read the first book, um, the second book definitely lives up to it. And if you haven't read American Royals, we have a book club episode about that from last September. And I think that would be like peak quarantine reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. So go do that. And in the meantime, if you'd like more of us, come chat with us in the Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. My other podcast, Romcom Pods, comes back for season two on October 12th. I'm on Instagram at, at Grace Atwood, and you can visit my blog where I post every single day, thestripe.com. Bye, guys. Thank you.